0: Welcome to Febbrow, a culture podcast about all things infectious disease. We use console questions to dive into ID, clinical reasoning, diagnostics, and antimicrobial management. I'm Sarah, your host and a MedPete's ID fellow. Today we are kicking off a two-part pair of episodes featuring our co-host dr rita wilson dibb rita is a chief infectious disease fellow at university of texas health science center ut health and md anderson cancer center in houston texas where she is focusing on oncology and immunocompromised host id she previously completed her internal medicine residency at the medical college of georgia hello our discussant is a return guest dr joseph sessine Joseph is an assistant professor of medicine and transplant ID physician at the University of Oklahoma Health Science Center, and he also serves as the ID Fellowship Associate Program Director. He previously completed his internal medicine residency at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital Center in New York City, and his ID Fellowship, where Rita is currently, the University of Texas Health Science Center and MD Anderson.
1: Hi, happy to be back with you, Sarah.
0: All right. And it's that time. We like to start off the show by quickly asking, as your favorite cultured podcast, if you both would be willing to share something that you've enjoyed recently that's non-medical, maybe something you're reading or watching uh, have been interested in recently.
2: Yeah, sure. So mine is a book titled Our Iceberg is Melting. It's written by John Cotter. And it's a very short and easy to read fable about penguins who are about to lose their uh their colony where they live in the antarctica but really the message behind it is how to conquer change and how to describe different personalities and how to um, respond to resistance to change and how to develop tactics to do it so i highly recommend it
0: oh that sounds great that definitely sounds like good summer reading that i could use Um, what about you joseph
1: uh, so I'm a big opera fan. Um, I uh, love to go watch the opera. Uh, I definitely do not sing opera, so don't try there. <laughs> um, uh, but but a big fan. I think for World TB Day last week, the American Society of Microbiology had an article about. Uh, the history of TB, and uh, there were some fun facts about how it relates to opera, so I would encourage you to check that out. Um,
0: all right, so this will be actually a two-episode two, two episode, uh, conversation about complications after CAR-T therapy. So I will hand it over to you, Rita, to get us started.
2: All right, so I have a case for us. Um, my patient is a 55-year-old man. He has a diagnosis of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Uh, he has relapsed, unfortunately, after receiving two lines of therapy. Uh, they're called RCHOP and RDHAP. They're both rituximab-based, one with uh, cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, and one with cytarabine, cisplatin. And now he is planned to receive CAR T-cell therapy. Uh, so, I thought we could start by answering the following questions. One, what is CAR T cell therapy and what are the commercially available uh, products? And then, what are the approved indications uh, for these therapies?
1: Thank you, Rita. Uh, so, I'll start by a disclaimer that we will be discussing only the commercially available FDA approved products. Uh, there's a broad range of other CAR T. Recombinant T cell, NK cells, and other cellular therapy products that are still in early or late investigations for a wide variety of conditions and indications, and we will not be discussing those today. Uh, So, CAR T, uh, to go back to the basics, stands for chimeric antigen receptor T cells. Uh, The basic principle for chimeric antigen receptors is to engineer this receptor in order to graft a defined specificity. Onto an immune effector cell. In this case, it's a T cell. It can also be an NK cell. And augment its function. And here we are specifically looking at its function against tumor cells. The structure of the chimeric antigen receptor will closely replicate that of the T cell receptor that is naturally present on T cells. The first generation uh, CARs uh, include a T cell activating domain and an extracellular immunoglobulin-derived heavy and light chain that is used to direct specificity against the antigen. The second-generation receptors and onwards will add a co-stimulatory receptor to enhance the immune response, uh, enhance proliferation, and the anti-apoptotic function of the cells. Uh, This will actually allow direct expansion of the cells uh, upon repeated exposure to the antigen, which is what will occur in vivo. Uh, this is why you can actually call these cells a persistent living drug. So once these CAR T cells are infused into the bloodstream, what happens is that the cells will engraft and they will undergo extensive proliferation in vivo. Then they will, Then they will make their way towards tumor cells and will identify them by recognizing tumor antigens on the surface of the tumor cells via the chimeric antigen receptor that's on the surface of those T cells. This will lead to death of the cancer cell and antigen release. Anytime you release antigen, this will actually promote immune surveillance because the other components of the immune systems are going to be able to recognize that antigen to try to prevent recurrence. These antigen release will be used by antigen-presenting cells to prime and activate endogenous T-cells that are already present and infiltrating the tumor. Uh, And this will enhance the endogenous immune response against the tumor. Uh, Then, as we just mentioned, the CAR T-cells will persist and will expand in vivo, and this will lead to a positive feedback loop on the cycle of tumor recognition, death of the cancer cell, antigen release, and priming of endogenous T-cells. There's a very good review in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2018 that discusses those and has really nice pictures. Uh, currently, there are six FDA approved CAR T products. Uh, four of these are approved for relapsed refractory B cell malignancies, including uh, non Hodgkin's lymphoma. For some products, uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, too. So you might see CAR T and Uh And these These four products will target the CD19 antigen, which is specific for B cells. Uh, Two products have been more recently approved for relapsed refractory myeloma, and these will target the BCMA antigen, which is specific for plasma cells. Um, I think it's also important for us as infectious disease physicians, pharmacists, and the rest of uh, your audience who provide care to these patients to understand what actually happens behind the scenes and how these cells get actually prepared. And there's a little uh, ID-related anecdote that we'll talk about in a second. So the commercially available car are actually autologous products, meaning these cells are actually originating from the patient. They are collected from the patient by apheresis. In the lab, these cells are transduced with either a CD19 or a BCMA chimeric antigen receptor, through a retroviral or a lentiviral vector to insert a copy of the DNA that encodes for the receptor into the genome of the T cells. There are other non-viral vector methods by electroporation. After transduction, these cells will undergo expansion and purification ex vivo, so in the lab. With the help of certain cytokines, certain interleukins, And they will get tested for quality and sterility. They get cryopreserved and shipped to the patient. This process is estimated to take about two to four weeks, sometimes six weeks. And it's important for us to realize that during this time, the patient is waiting for cells. And they wait either without any chemotherapy or they're receiving bridging chemotherapy. And we'll come back to that in a second. Now, why are these details uh, relevant to us? Remember, I just mentioned that the transduction of the CAR CAR gene into the T cells relies on a lentiviral or retroviral vector. There have been multiple case reports of patients screening positive on HIV nucleic acid antigen test after CAR T cell. I think the first case was uh, reported from MD Anderson in 2017. Uh, This was a patient who got CD19 CAR T for follicular lymphoma and was planned for a hematopoietic cell transplant for consolidation two months later. Part of the pre-HC screening, they got a qualitative HIV nucleic acid antigen test, and that came back positive. They got a quantitative HIV RNA that was positive at low level, 74 copies, Uh, and the fourth-generation HIV screen was negative, and the patient's CD4 count was 837. So they ended up talking to the manufacturer, et cetera. It turns out that uh, those car were created using a lentiviral vector, which contains HIV gene sequences, including LTR and GAG. And depending which assay your lab uses to detect and quantify HIV, two of the most commonly used assays for HIV actually use LTR or GAG or both as their target sequences, Uh, And since then, there have been multiple reports of similar scenario, uh, most of which really involved one specific HIV test, the COBAS Ampliprap, COBAS-TACMAN, that uses both LTR and GAG as the target sequences. So to go back to CAR T, uh, as the cells are being prepared, the patient might be receiving bridging chemotherapy, which depends on the nature and the status of their disease. Uh, This is actually administered after apheresis after the cells are collected, to stabilize the disease while the CAR-T cells are manufactured. And once the cells are available, the patient will receive lymphodepleting chemotherapy. The most commonly used regimen nowadays is fludarabine and cyclophosphamide, and we'll come back to that in a, a little later. Um, and it's usually given a few days before the CAR-T. Uh, the goal of this is to deplete the T and B and NK cells and create a favorable environment for expansion and persistence of the T cells in vivo. We do lack numbers, so we like to refer to the day of CAR T cell infusion as day zero, just like uh, in hematopoietic cell transplants. Um, I'd like to note that traditionally, this entire process from lymphodepletion to cell infusion has occurred on an inpatient setting, although there is now a move to transition this entire process to the outpatient setting and there has been good success in terms of safety. Our center here in the University of Oklahoma actually published their uh, experience, one of the very first, and they carry out the entire process as outpatient.
2: Thanks for that. So I'm going to go back to our patient. He is indeed admitted to receive uh, what is called Yescarta, which is a CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy. His lymph Lymphodepleting chemotherapy uh, will consist of fludarabine and cyclophosphamide from days minus five to day minus three before the administration of his cart infusion. He otherwise has an ID history of a strep bacteremia while receiving his chemotherapy earlier. This was appropriately treated with IV ceftriaxone three months ago. We are being asked now to provide guidance for recommendations on his empiric therapy in the event a febrile neutropenia occurs. So the questions here would be, what are the risk factors for infection in recipients of these CAR-T cell therapies? And how do we plan a prophylactic regimen for these patients? Also, is there a way to risk stratify these patients?
1: Great. Uh, So I think you can approach the risk factors for infection after CAR-T by differentiating them into three stages. There are risk factors that already exist before CAR-T. There are risk factors during CAR-T, which also includes the early period or the first 30 days after CAR-T. And then there are the long-term risk factors, which is the period beyond 30 days. Uh, Before CAR-T, we are mostly talking about host-related factors. Uh, This includes uh, the underlying disease. So the risk of infection varies depending on whether someone had a B-cell lymphoma versus multiple myeloma, where you might have more plasma cells problems, more immunosuppressive therapies, more hypogammaglobulinemia to begin with, or BALL, where you also have a component of T-cell dysfunction. Another important factor is the status of the disease, the previous therapies they have received, uh, both in terms of cumulative immunosuppression. So someone who's getting car t as a second-line treatment versus someone who's getting CAR-T as a seventh-line treatment have totally different risks. Uh, Also, in terms of the specific lines of therapy they have received, uh, certain biologics that might induce prolonged immunosuppression, like uh, anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies. You mentioned your patient received two lines of therapy that included rituximab. Uh, Or if they have received a prior hematopoietic cell transplant, whether autologous or allogeneic. And a lot of the initial patients uh, with ALL had received an allogeneic transplant and relapsed after that. Uh, And with allotransplants, you do have a prolonged T-cell immunity defect. Other factors that enter into play include baseline cytopenias, other medical comorbidities, and if they had previous infections. During CAR-T and within the early period after treatment, you do have the dose of the cells being infused, higher dose of cells is associated with higher risk of infection, uh, the type of conditioning regimen, and we'll, I promise you we'll get back to that in a little bit, and then the early complications of CAR-T. Um, early on, there's an initial period of neutropenia due to the lymphodepleting chemotherapy, uh, so here you know, the patient will be at risk for invasive bacterial infections, invasive candida infections, uh, just as is the case with hematopoietic cell transplant. Um, and so this period of neutropenia mucositis is usually the highest risk for things like bloodstream infections related to both uh, bacterial translocation because of barrier injury, and then central venous catheters. Uh, the other important early complications of CAR-T to be taken into consideration are cytokine release syndrome, or CRS, immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, or ICANs, hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis or HLH, the famous one, and macrophage activation syndrome, or MAS, uh, all of which really require intensive immunosuppression as part of their management. We will be getting to CRS and ICANs in more details, uh, I hope. Uh, beyond 30 days, uh, you run into prolonged neutropenia, prolonged B-cell aplasia with subsequent hypogammaglobulinemia. globulinemia. If your patient had ICANs, they might need a long course of uh, corticosteroids. Um, and then, of course, if the primary disease relapses and requires additional immunosuppression. Uh, There's another very nice review paper. This one was published in Lancet Hematology in 2021 that really describes the risk for infection at a great level of details. And I'll share this one with you. It does identify the patients at highest risk for infection at the beginning of or during CAR T as those patients with relapsed or refractory lymphoid malignancy, extensive pretreatment with previous chemotherapy with or without steroids, previous allogeneic transplant, previous invasive mold disease, uh, those with active CMV disease, those with CRS, HLH, or ICANS requiring anti-IL-6 or glucocorticoid treatment, baseline neutropenia or prolonged neutropenia post T or baseline lymphopenia. Now, in terms of prophylaxis, we do not have clinical trial data to specifically inform prophylactic strategies Uh, for CAR T-cell recipients. Uh, We uh, do rely on a few things, obviously expert opinion. Uh, We also extrapolate a lot from the hematopoietic cell transplant work, where we actually have strong evidence to support uh, specific prophylactic strategies. Uh, We are also informed by what prophylactic strategies have been used in the now-published retrospective or prospective cohorts from the large cancer centers, which we'll discuss a little bit later. For instance, the overwhelming majority of these studies had patients on HSV and VZV prophylaxis and on pneumocystis prophylaxis. Um, So that's kind of a no-brainer. Whereas antibacterial and antifungal prophylaxis has been largely variable between centers. In general... Uh, And when I say in general, we're going to discuss general recommendations from guidelines or uh, authoritative review papers. Uh, For bacterial infection, the common strategy would be fluoroquinolone prophylaxis, uh, usually with levofloxacin during the time of neutropenia. Uh, Same as the case with hematopoietic cell transplants. Um, Same as the case with patients with leukemia and prolonged neutropenia. For HSV and VZV prophylaxis, there's a broad consensus to give acyclovir or valacyclovir from initiation of lymphodepletion and up until one year after CAR-T. In terms of antifungals, uh, the general recommendation for yeast prophylaxis, and we say yeast mostly candida, uh, is again fluconazole or mitofungin during neutropenia. We will discuss mold active prophylaxis later on uh, because that's uh, tricky. Uh, and then finally, for pneumocystis prophylaxis, it's usually indicated from about day 21, post car and up until at least six months after CAR-T. Uh, one of the very first papers to discuss this was, uh, I think you know the How I Treat paper series from blood. It was more a How I Prevent paper, uh, but it was published from 2020, so I highly recommend that. Uh, the ASTCT also addresses antimicrobial prophylaxis in their uh, CAR-T for relapsed refractory B-cell lymphoma guidelines from 2019. And both of uh, these kind of recommendations are, are in line with each other. Uh, the most recent iteration of the NCCN guidelines for prevention and treatment of cancer-related infections was published in October 2022 and also has a similar section on prophylaxis.
2: Well, our patient did develop a fever on day three post-infusion. His Tmax was 38.9. He is neutropenic at this point with an ANC of zero. How do we proceed from a diagnostic and therapeutic per- perspective now? And what are the possible causes of his neutropenic fever at this time?
1: Amazing. So this is a very common scenario, a very common reason for ID consult after CAR-T Uh, So, we just discussed, uh, before CAR-T, there's usually the lymphodepleting chemotherapy, fluderabine, cyclophosphamide. This will result in neutropenia. We do expect neutropenia to resolve usually by day 14 up until day 28 post-CAR-T, beyond which this would be considered a prolonged neutropenia. During this time period, the immunophysiology resembles that of a patient with uh, a hematopoietic cell transplant. Uh, neutropenia and mucositis are the main drivers of infection. They commonly have central venous catheters as well. So from an infection perspective, you're looking mostly at infections that happen in neutropenic patients. Bloodstream infections caused by bacterial organisms or by candida, either through translocation across a mucosal barrier injury or central venous catheter. You can also see the other types of bacterial infections or what we call site infections. So Things like skin and soft tissue infection, neutropenic enterocolitis, uh, bacterial pneumonia, urinary tract infections. Uh, you should always consider a respiratory viral infection in your differential. Uh, and if a patient had a recent infection prior to CAR T, uh, a recurrence of that infection should be considered. The most reasonable approach here would be proceed with your usual workup for febrile neutropenia. So, blood cultures, including cultures from both the central venous catheter, and the peripheral blood at the same time, at least a chest X-ray, a respiratory viral panel during respiratory virus season, and then the additional workup is driven by signs and symptoms on history and physical exam. Um, Initiation of an empirical antiseudomonal beta-lactam, like cefepime, peptazo, is usually recommended in this case, and depending on the syndrome being suspected, you might want to add an agent with MRSA activity. Uh, until you get your workup done. More often than not, as you know, with neutropenic fever, we are unable to determine a specific source of infection or to establish a microbiological diagnosis. Um, in this case, this could be because of the usual transient GI translocation causing transient bacteremia, But we should also consider the early complications of CART, which can manifest with fever during neutropenia. The first of these is CRS or cytokine release syndrome. So this is a syndrome that gets triggered by activation of T cells when they engage uh, the car, the chimeric antigen receptor with the antigens expressed by the tumor cells. This will uh, release cytokines, chemokines uh, by the activated T cells. So things like interleukin-2, interferon gamma, interleukin-6, GM-CSF. And then this will stimulate bystander immune cells to release more cytokines, more interleukin-6, interleukin-8, interleukin-10. This will lead to symptoms that can virtually affect any organ system. The leading symptoms are fever, fatigue, tachycardia, hypotension. So what you really expect out of a cytokine storm. The onset of CRS is variable. It usually peaks around two to seven days after infusion can still present up to three weeks after CAR T. Depending on the studies you look at, the incidence varies between 57 and 93%. Um, the ASTCT has guidelines published in 2019 that offer a consensus grading system for CRS. It's important to grade because we're going to be talking a lot about grading later on. Uh, they usually rely on three parameters fever, hypotension, and vasopressor requirement and hypoxia, depending on the extent of oxygen requirement. And the CRS grading goes from grade one through grade four, grade four being the most severe form. Management depends on the grade and usually involves tocilizumab, which is now a very famous anti-interleukin-6 monoclonal antibody, possibly corticosteroids for high-grade CRS, and ICU management if you require vasopressor and or mechanical ventilation. All three of these are risk factors for infection. Keep in mind specifically that tocilizumab is a powerful immunosuppression. So we have recently used it very frequently and extensively in COVID-19. But most of these patients received it as a one-time dose. Uh, The largest extent of data we have on the use of tocilizumab is actually in chronic use in patients with rheumatological diseases. Uh, there's an increased risk for reactivation of certain infections with the use of tocilizumab, including TB, endemic fungal infections, strongyloidiasis, herpes zoster, herpes simplex, hepatitis B or C. In addition, tocilizumab has also been associated with decreased wound healing and increased risk for GI perforation. The other important complication in the early period after car is uh, Immune effector Cell-Associated Neurotoxicity Syndrome, or cans. And here, the pathophysiology is a little unclear. There are two potential explanations. Uh, the first is passive diffusion of cytokines into the brain and or trafficking of T cells into the CNS. Uh, this usually occurs at a median of four days after infusion. Uh, the incidence ranges between 20 and 70%. Grading for cans. Uh, relies on five domains of neurotoxicity, level of consciousness, seizure, motor findings, increased intracranial pressure or cerebral edema, and then the ICE score. Uh, And the ICE score is like a specific mini-mental exam, essentially. Uh, So it evaluates orientation, naming, following commands, writing, and attention. ICANNs is also graded from grade one through grade four, uh, the management of ICANS depends on the grade, but here the cornerstone of pharmacological management is high-dose glucocorticoids. Often there are prolonged papers. Often there are ICU admission, lumbar punctures, et cetera. Another early complication, but fortunately much less common, is HLH and macrophage activation syndrome. This is more like the extreme end of CRS, like CRS gone rogue, essentially. Uh, Occurs with an incidence of 1 to 3.5%. You do need to meet certain criteria, including a peak serum ferritin level of greater than 10,000 during the CRS phase, typically in the first five days. And then develop two or more end-organ dysfunctions. Increase in liver function test AKI, pulmonary edema, or evidence of hemophagocytosis in the bone marrow. Uh, initial management is just like the management of CVS-CRS, so anti-IL-6 and steroids. If there's no improvement after 48 hours, you get a topocyte. possibly cytarabine if there are neurotoxicity.
2: Thank you for this. Uh, so uh, back to our patients, given the persistent symptoms, the patient received tocilizumab, as you explained to us. He got two doses this time on days five and seven, uh, and then he developed seizures and encephalopathy. At that point, he was started on methylprednisone at one milligrams per kilogram every 12 hours, and that's for a diagnosis of ICANS. On day eight, he was admitted to the ICU with severe hypotension requiring vasopressor support. He had respiratory failure requiring O2 supplementation with high flow nasal cannula. The blood and sputum cultures grew pseudomonas and his chest x-ray showed a new left lower lobe opacity. What infections commonly occur early after receipt of uh, CAR-T cell therapy?
1: Yeah, so clearly here we are still in the very early stage after CAR-T. There's no clear definition of what early or late means. Uh, But when we say early, we assume usually the first 30 days, some people stretch it to the first 90 days, but clearly the first 30 days uh, is where we're going to focus. Most of what we know about infections after CAR-T is informed by large cohort studies. Some are retrospective, some are prospective. Uh, They are done at major cancer centers in the US. So we're going to review quickly some of the studies and try to gauge a pattern of infection from this data. Uh, We are not going to go into management of these infections since you would manage a pseudomonas pneumonia in a patient who got CAR-T just like you would manage it in any other patient, or at least in any other patient who got a hematopoietic cell transplant. So there's nothing specific about management of these infections for for CAR-T in most instances. So the first study was published out of Fred Hutch and Blood in 2018. Uh, And that included 133 adult patients with CD19-positive ALL, CLL, or B-cell lymphoma. And these were patients who were enrolled in phase 1 and phase 2 trials of CD19 CAR T cells. So these got the very early experimental products. These patients received antimicrobial prophylaxis, including for HSV, VZV, bacteria, yeast, and pneumocystis, and were followed up until day 9. Of this cohort, about 16% developed bacterial infections, half of which were bloodstream infections. 8% developed viral infections, most of which were respiratory viruses, and 3% developed fungal infections. In the first 28 days, most of the infections were bacterial. Viral infections were the dominant ones between day 29 and day 90. There were more severe and life-threatening and fatal infections in the first 28 days. In their univariate model, the risk factors for infection within the first 28 days were a higher CAR T cell dose, CRS, ICANS, use of tocilizumab, and ICU admission. When they did a multivariate analysis, uh, CRS was the only significant variable. The conditioning regimen of fludarabine and cyclophosphamide with optimized CAR T cell dose was associated with a reduced risk of severe crs and demonstrated a lower infection density compared to other experimental regimens. Um, and I think we'll come back to FLUCI uh, a little later. The next study was published out of Sloan-Kettering and CID around the same time in 2018 and included 53 adults with relapsed refractory ALL uh, on a phase one trial, almost, all of these patients received HSV, VZV, yeast, and pneumocystis prophylaxis and were followed for 180 days. Uh, bacterial infections occurred at a median of 18 days, fungal at a median of 23 days, and viral infections at a median of 48 days. So clearly, you start to see the pattern that really bacterial infections are the early ones here. Uh, in the first 30 days, 42% of the patients developed an infection. Overwhelming majority were bacterial. Beyond 30 days, it was mostly respiratory viruses. The main predictor for infection, the main predictor for bloodstream infection on multivariate analysis was CRS grade 3 and above. Another study out of Sloan Kettering, this one in 2020, uh, followed 60 patients with relapsed refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma uh, who got CD19 CAR-T for up to one year. Uh, almost all of whom got HSV, VZV, yeast, and pneumocystis prophylaxis. Again, the first 30 days, two-thirds of the infections were bacterial. Median onset was 12 days. 28% of the infections were C. Diff. This is probably one of the uh, highest rates of C. Diff in the literature I reviewed. 20% of the patients had a viral infection. The median onset was eight days. More than half of these were respiratory viruses. One third of the infection events occurred during the index admission, the admission for car infusion. Uh, here on multivariate analysis, predictors for infection were systemic steroids, predictors for severe bacterial infections were impaired performance status, and previous infection 30 days before lymphodepletion. Uh, they did notice a similar incidence of infection before and after implementation of a standardized antimicrobial prophylaxis uh, guideline. One more cohort study, this time out of Moffitt, Um, and it's important to have different geography. We'll get to that uh, maybe in the next episode. Uh, this one was uh, published in 2021. Uh, had 85 patients with relapsed refractory large B cell lymphoma, getting CD19 CAR-T. They had a universal antimicrobial prophylaxis strategy. About 36% of the patients developed an infection in the first 30 days. 39% of these were c diff. 35% of the infections were severe. Um, and I want to go a little deeper into the numbers. Uh, they did look at incidence rate of infection. In the first 30 days, that was 117 a per 1,000 person days. This drops to 2.3 between day 30 and day 90, and then consistently below one past day 90. So clearly the first 30 days are serious. Severe infection before day 30 was associated with CRS, severe neurotoxicity, using tocilizumab or steroids, or needing bridging therapy before car t one more study uh, that I'm going to uh, discuss, and this one specifically for flu sci. Uh so this was CD19, CAR-T, and early infections uh, out of Red Hutch. This one included pediatrics and young adults age th- 1 through 26 years. Uh, they only received pneumocystis prophylaxis. Other antimicrobial prophylaxis was very variable, uh, so not everyone received everything. And there was no bacterial prophylaxis. Again, highest density of infection was in the first 28 days. Most of the bacterial infections occurred in patients with neutropenia. Viral infections occurred equally in periods of neutropenia and periods without neutropenia. Of the three CAR cell infusion factors, the use of fludarabine and cyclophosphamide was actually associated with a lower infection density compared to other lymphodepleting regimens. Um, this is likely related to the fact that in fluci you use zero five grams per square meter of cyclophosphamide, versus in other regimens you use six times more cyclophosphamide, three grams per square meters. Uh, time to first infection was shorter in the patients who had received prior uh, hematopoietic cell transplant, in patients who had hypogammaglobulinemia with an IgG less than four hundred milligrams per deciliter. And time to first infection was longer in the patients who had received glymphodication with fludarabine and cyclophosphamide. Since then, there have been multiple additional cohort studies following patients for longer durations, up to one year. We will review the late infections later. Uh, the overwhelming pattern with CD19 car is a predominance of bacterial infections in the first 30 days after car These infections can be bloodstream infections or bacterial site infections like pneumonias, urinary, skin and skin structure infections. Some studies also show the sizable proportion of C. Diff. infections. Uh, these early infections tend to be more severe than infections occurring past 30 days. And the major risk factor seems to be CRS, plus or minus the need for immunosuppression to treat CRS and ICANS, which occurs at the time of significant leukopenia.
0: Stay tuned for part two of this episode, which will come out in two weeks. Don't forget to check out the website, FebralPodcast.com to find the consult notes, which are written compliments to the show with links to references, our library of ID infographics, and a link to our merch store. Please reach out if you have any suggestions for future shows or want to be more involved with Febrile. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.